One second, Nissan. Okay. Um, kind of gave a challenge a few weeks ago of, hey, let's grow this summer. Let's just not, you know, think about September. Let's grow this summer. I don't think you re- maybe recognize it, but we're in September. We're in July. July the I'm thinking of September. Um, July the fifteenth. Look around you. It's pretty amazing. I'm sorry for July the fifteenth. I met six new families in first service. Okay, the entire families, and uh, yeah, and I. So I'm, I'm very excited. I really appreciate the fact that you guys have taken this responsibility on and saying, yes, we're, we're going to see this grow, church grow spiritually. We're going to see it grow numerically even this summer. This is exciting. This is, this is second service on July the 15th. That's amazing. It really is. Your dedication to continue to come and also to invite others. And I pray that God will continue to bless our church as we do his will. I want, you to, I want to take just a moment as I set up here. Find someone. I do this in the very beginning, but there's all about 19 people here when we do this. Um, it's okay. You're here. I don't, I don't, when you come in, it's not the big, big thing. You're here. Um, find someone you don't know or haven't met in a little while and just welcome them to Grace Chapel again. Let's do that again before you sit down. enough of that. Sit down. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Uh, If you weren't here for some of the announcements, I want you to make sure you look at your family news bulletin. One of the best ways to get connected is to come to come to different events. So there's a lot of things going on. Make sure you read the family news bulletin. You come, you connect, you build those relationships. This week, we're continuing our series when life doesn't go your way. We've been looking at the book of Jonah, and now we're looking at the book of Habakkuk. Two good books, looking at two different prophets and how they handle things when life doesn't seem to go their way. So we're in the book of Habakkuk. Last week, we looked at at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. Basically, we have Habakkuk. Uh, was praying over and over and over again, kind of crying out to God. And, and God, in his perfect timing, now responds to Habakkuk. So let's go back in, in, chapter, in verse, chapter 1, the first four verses. He's talking about, God, why do you make me look at violence and injustice and tolerate wrong and all those things? I, I can't take it anymore, Lord. And the Lord answers him in verse 5. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. In chapter 1 and verse 3, Habakkuk says, why do you make me look at injustice? And then here in verse 5, God uses the same verb when he says, look at the nations. Look at the nations. God is saying, listen, Habakkuk, I, I see what you see. I understand. I, I, I'm understanding where you're coming from. But you're looking at it, my friend, from a a temporal or limited perspective, God says to him. I see it. I'm not blind to it. I understand your heart. I understand where you're coming from. But Habakkuk, you're looking at it from a very temporal, which is earthly, myoptic, my point of view, my bubble world viewpoint. Very temporal viewpoint. Very limited. He says, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to open up your eyes. And I I want you to be amazed at my power and my authority. I'm your God. 
I'm going to do something totally outrageous. I'm going to do something totally amazing. It's going to be something unbelievable beyond your wildest imagination. Habakkuk's probably like at this point, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Before we move on to that, here's a reality that you and I all have to deal with. When we are asking to understand the deep things of God, the difficult things of God, the deeper questions of God, we have to look at it from an eternal perspective. We have to see it from, a, from an eternal perspective. We have, to, we have to open up our eyes, look at it through God, God lenses, if you will. Because when you, when, you, when you truly step back, and if you truly want to understand the deeper truths of God, you cannot view it from simply or purely a temporal perspective in the here and now. Focusing on just the here and now. Now, I understand that we are all individuals, and that is individuals. And I'm not, this is, I'm not beating up on you. This is, I'm, I raise my hand. We look at life from our perspective, how it affects me. How does this affect me in 2012, uh, on July the 15th, 2012? How does this decision that what are God's choices, whatever God chooses to do, how is it going to affect me? So when we ask God for something, we look at it from the, with those glasses on, if you will, from that temporal perspective. But if we're truly going to understand the deeper things of God, we have to. I want you to write this down if you can in your Bible or somewhere. Just put, just put that eternal perspective down. Write that down. Because you're never going, you're asking deep questions, but you're, not, you're looking at it with a finite mind. I know it's, we, are, we are limited, but we have to look at it from a broader perspective. We truly want to understand our God. Ask yourself, how do I fit into God's grand design. God, if you were the only person on this earth, Jesus Christ would have died for you. That's how valuable you are. But understand something. We are all a part of God's grand design. Our lives fit into a larger picture. And if we don't understand that, if we come at it from a perspective as how does it affect me right now, we're never going to truly grasp what God is doing in our lives and in history. And we're going to remain frustrated. It's going to be a very frustrating existence because God's not going to do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. So how do you think Habakkuk reacted when he found out, when he heard this in verse 5? How do you think he reacted to this information that God was going to give him? Well, for me, I'd be thinking, uh, this, is, this is pretty amazing. This is good stuff. I like it. I mean, I, I, I pray, I ask God to do this. I would be, if I were Habakkuk, I would be filled with hope. You know, maybe God is going to, is going to, do, is going to revive the nation Maybe now God's going to revive the nation. Maybe now we're going to see true and long-lasting revival. This is awesome. But then God says something totally unexpected in verse 6. So here you go. You're praying to God. God says, ho, ho, hold on to your boots. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. And what do we think in our minds? It must be good for me. It must be good for me right now because I've been praying. I'm the only one probably praying. I've been praying. This is going to be good for me. And then all of a sudden God says, here's your answer. And in verse 6, he goes through the answer. Instead of, <laughs> instead of bringing revival, God brings the Babylonians. 
Instead of bringing the revival that Habakkuk was looking for at that moment, God brings the Babylonians. And my friends, make no mistake about it. It is God who brings the Babylonians. It is God who brings the Babylonians. It is God who brings destruction. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's what I don't like about the Old Testament. God's a meanie in the Old Testament. He's mean. He's, he, he seems like cruel. And he's always saying, wipe out the Canaanites. And, and, and now I'm going to bring the Babylonians and they're going to they're going to take you into captivity. And you sit there and go, that's not fair. I don't understand. I don't understand. Listen, if you're going to read the Old Testament, I want and I'm saying this in love. OK, I need you to I need you to use all parts of your brain and I need you to go the extra mile. Because what we do is say we read that one verse and we say, man, that's not fair. But we don't realize that in Habakkuk, in this case here, God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to say to the nation, Judah, hey, you guys need to turn. Turn away. You're, you're, they're basically worshiping idols in the temple. They're, they're, they are taking, they have paid off the judges, okay? The judges in their community are paid off. So the rich have paid off the judges and they're taking advantage of the poor. The poor have no voice. They're being, they're being robbed and, 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 and abused. They're not caring about them at all. There's all kinds of, of sexual things going on in the culture and all these, you know, these prostitutes inside the temple for different gods. And God is saying over and over and over again through different, through different prophets, Stop it. Repent. Stop doing that. You guys need to turn around. I'm using my language, but enough's enough. Enough's enough. And they're like, (laughs) we're loaded right now. The country's doing great. I mean, we are just sitting pretty. Uh, We'll worship whatever gods we want. You're an idiot, Mr. Prophet. Take a hike. You know, things are going great. So why would we stop? Why would we change you read, you read about the Canaanites. Say, all oh, those Canaanites. How could God say to drive all the Canaanites out? Kill every, if anyone's standing, get rid of everyone. You can't have any of this within your midst. You cannot inter, 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 intermarry with these folks. You can't, you, I don't want you worshiping their gods. Go in and wipe them all out. And you say, that is so mean. That is so cruel. God gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent. Our country is not even 400 years old. He gave them more time than America's in existence to repent. And finally, when things, in, and remember in, in Jonah, he says, go to, go, go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites to repent. What do they do? They repented. What happened? God did not send calamity, which sent Jonah into a spiral, all worked up about it. But God is warning and warning and warning, and then they don't repent. If you're a parent, and I, if I had to say to my children, Stop doing that. That's really going to be harmful. Quit doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. At, at some point, if you're a good, loving, let me use the word loving, compassionate, merciful parent to your children, you're not just going to keep going, quit it, 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 quit it. Right? You're going to say, one more time, and I'm going to spank you. Or one more time, I'm going to put you in time out. One more time, and you're not going to the party. You're not going to be able to whatever you're going to do. I'm taking away the computer. I'm taking away the iPad. I'm taking away your phone. You're going to do something to stop their behavior because, you know, their behavior is leading them in a completely wrong direction, hanging around the wrong people, doing all the wrong things. A loving, merciful parent responds, a loving and merciful God after hundreds of years 
prophets being sent one after another, responds. So please get that in in your mind as you go through the Old Testament. You have to know the history. You have to go back and say, well, I wonder how long God warned them before he responded. They mock him. they, They just ignore him. And then all of a sudden he responds. And then we read the Bible and say, I'm not reading the Bible anymore. God is mean. Now, I understand how you come to that conclusion if you just read that one verse. Read it in context, and you won't find the same thing. God in Jonah does exactly what he would do with everyone else if they would respond that way. So God says, I'm bringing, I'm raising up the Babylonians. It was God who raised up the Babylonians. And he doesn't say, well, you know what? Listen, don't worry about it. The Babylonians aren't as bad as you think. They're kind of... Well, I'll give you some bad theology. They're kind of good at heart. You know, they're not, they don't have a sinful nature like every other nation. They're kind of good. And if you, just, if you just appeal to their positive good nature, it'll all work out for you. No, he doesn't say that at all. He goes on to say this, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping down. They all come bent on violence. Their, their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and, and capture them. They, uh, then they sweep past like a wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. These are the folks that I'm sending to deal with my people who have completely ignored me for all these years. So this is, this really wasn't what Habakkuk was asking for, just to let you know. This wasn't what, he he, he wasn't asking, he was asking for justice In Judah, he wasn't asking for the destruction of Judah, right? He somehow thought he was going to pray and that God should somehow puppet these people and manipulate them to the point where somehow he just goes in and twists their brains and they completely forget all of their habits and all of their attitudes and they're just shaking their fist at God and ignoring God and God was just going to snap his fingers and everything was going to get better. It usually, my friends, doesn't work that way. It usually takes some kind of discipline, some kind of crisis to turn us around. Anyone who's been had a habit or or some kind of issue in their lives, an addiction in their lives, knows that it usually takes something pretty drastic to turn people around and get them on the right path. But if we step back here, God did answer Habakkuk's prayers. Does God, is, is God concerned about the, 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 the violence and the injustice in Judah? Yes, he is. Can God do something about the violence and the injustice in Judah? Yes, he can. Will he do something about all that's going on in Judah? Yes, he will. Those, think about it, he answered Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk says, how long must I look at this? How long must I put up with this? How long are you going to sit there and do absolutely nothing while all this goes on? I don't understand. This is freaking me out. You know, why do I have to put up with this? And God answers his prayer. He answers it. But that's not the way, put yourself in his position again, that is not the way that he wanted God to do it. 
Sending the Babylonians was not a part of Habakkuk's plan. Habakkuk had a plan. Revival, renewal, you know, something happens. They start reading a good book or whatever, and, you know, it's all going to change. This was not a part of Habakkuk's plan. It would be like, if we put ourselves in his position, it would be like, say, I'll just pick Iran, for example, um, and I'm, not, I'm, not be, I'm, I'll be, I'm going to be general here, but I'm not picking on them specifically, so let's pick any country, like uh, uh, Iran, for us, because we seem to be enemies with Iran. So it would be like God saying to Iran, who in this case would be much more powerful, I'm going to bring Iran to take care of the moral issues that I see in the United States. I'm going to bring them and they're going to come in and they're going to, I'm going to bring judgment on the United States using Iran to come in and do all these things. If that were the case, how would would you feel? Think about it. How would you feel if God determined to do that? I don't know about you, but I would be like, um, I think that's overkill, maybe, just a little. Um... Why, you know, Lord, why? I understand you got everything under control, but I know our country's in bad shape, but not not that bad. I mean, you're talking we're talking Iran here, Lord. Don't you think this is just going to make things worse from our perspective? And I, I this is my perspective. I think their government is way beyond bad, as worse than our government. I don't particularly like ours all the time, but our government's still way better than most governments around the world, especially over there, a dictatorship, you know. Uh, Wait a second. I know we're we're not doing too well, but they're a lot worse. Why are you going to bring them over here to solve our problem? I don't get it. That's what Habakkuk's saying. I'm missing something here. I'm missing something here. I think we would all feel a little bit like Habakkuk is feeling. As you read over these verses, there's, there seems to be no hope. I mean, God, God has said, God said in his word that I gave him enough time and I'm finished. They're done. Now, now comes judgment. So there's, there's no hope. And I, and I noticed something else as I, as I was reading through these verses. God is not going to use the Babylonians to bring justice to Judah. God ultimately is going to judge the Babylonians. So he's going to use the Babylonians to come in and straighten out his, his people. Then on the, on the other side of that coin, he's going to judge the Babylonians because they are, they are definitely no better than Judah. And we'll see what God's judgment's going to be more in, next week in, in chapter 2. But Habakkuk is so overwhelmed with what he just heard with all this new information that, about the Babylonians He's not focusing on God's promise to then judge the Babylonians as well. He's not focused on that. He's focused on, wait, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, God. Something about the Babylonians coming in and, and, and doing something? I, I, I'm not getting this. So you say, well, how, then how does the prophet react to all this new information? Well, I would, I'm going to ask you guys again. How do you think you'd react to all this new information that the Babylonians are going to come and solve all of our... Basically, we're going to be judged. God's going to judge us by using the Babylonians to come in or whoever it might be to come in. First, my head would be spinning. I'm praying, God, do something amazing and bring revival and brings the Babylonians. Right? My head is spinning. What just happened? Shouldn't have prayed in the first place. (laughs) What, what, what just happened here? What just went on here? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not getting this. And then my human emotions would take over. This, what would I say? This is not 
fair, right? Why me, right? I go through all those things. God, I don't understand. This isn't fair. Those people are worse than we are. How can you blah, blah, blah? This isn't fair. And why me? And why our country? And all these kinds of things. But Habakkuk gains his composure, which I, I like here. He gains his composure. He doesn't lose it like Jonah. So he, you know, he, he holds on to his, his composure. Instead, he gives us some principles that we can follow when we don't understand why God does what he does, okay? You're all, you've all been there, or if you haven't been, you're going to be there. God gives us some principles to help us when we go through a situation we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17, and then we'll look at these principles. Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we, listen, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot, cannot tolerate wrong. Little switch now. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense, which is worshiping, to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? There are, there are three, there are more, but I'm going, to show, I'm going to share three principles with you that we can learn from these verses. Three principles that we can learn from these verses that will help us in our own spiritual journey. First, Habakkuk remembers God's promises. You can jot that down. Think about it. God, God, Habakkuk remembers God's promises. Here in verse 12, Habakkuk says, we will not die. He's saying the people of Judah will not all be wiped out. How can he say that? Let's go back just very quickly. What happened? You got, you got, you got Judah and you got Israel, okay? And the tribes, you remember the missing tribes of Israel? You know why they're missing? Because they were assimilated into the Assyrians, okay? The Assyrians came in and, and, and took over and basically took the tribes and assimilated them into the Assyrian culture. They're gone, so now Habakkuk turns right around and says, um, we will not die. We will not be completely wiped out by the Babylonians. How does he know that he's not going to be, that the nation's not going to be completely wiped out by the Babylonians? Because Habakkuk knew his history. He knew God's word. He knew God's, listen, promises to Abraham. He knew God's promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to David. He knew the promises. Habakkuk understood God's promises in, in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 22 and chapter 26, that God would, 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 would bring about Abraham's descendants. Remember what we, talk about, we talked about in Jonah? In Jonah, we talked about how God was going to bless all the nations, right? Through Abraham. All nations on the earth would be blessed through Abraham. Habakkuk knew that. He understood that. He knew that God was going to establish David's throne forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16. So Habakkuk knew all those things. 
He understood. He understood God's promises. So he knows Abraham's seed will not be completely wiped out. They will not die out. God is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. And Habakkuk knew it. God's will will not be thwarted. And Habakkuk knew it. He knew it. He says, we will not die. Second, he remembers God's character. He reminds himself of God's character. He's in, he's, his head is spinning, and he's, he's like, what on earth just happened? But he reminds himself of God's character. Look at the attributes of God that he points out in these few verses. He says, he says that God is eternal in verse 12. He talks about the sovereignty of God. How do you talk about that? He knows that God is in control of the Babylonians. God's in control of this whole situation. God is sovereign. He says God is pure. That God is pure. God is our, you're our rock. That means that you're steadfast and you're dependable and you're a source of strength and you're solid. He focuses, when, when I don't understand some things that are going on in my life, I focus on God's character. I go back to the foundation. I go back to my foundation. Who is God? Who is God? When I feel like Satan is condemning me, you feel condemned, you feel like you're overwhelmed, you did something wrong, and you feel this condemnation. You know the Bible says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I know that God's forgiving. So when Satan tries to condemn me, I can remember the character of God and say, no, I I am not condemned, God is forgiving. When I feel feel like I'm, I'm, I'm lost or I'm alone, I know that God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. God is faithful. It's a part of his character. God is faithful. When I am weak, I know that's when my God is the strongest. When I feel weak, I know the character of God, that God is strong and God will continue to work through me and give me the strength that I need. I know that. He'll get me through whatever struggle I'm facing right now. He will get me through it. And you know what? Again, back to an eternal perspective, whether I live or die, God's will will be done in my life. If I'm following Jesus Christ, then my death will be more significant to God's ultimate plan than my life would have been for another some odd years. God is faithful. God is forgiving. God is strong. All of those things we can go, oh, we can go over and over and over. The third principle he teaches us is that God always acts for his own glory. See, I like what Habakkuk is doing here. I really do. Um, in verse 16, I like what Habakkuk is doing here. He tells God, he says, listen, God, I got, I got something to tell you. Now, remember what he did. He laid out all God's character and his, you know, his promises. He goes, God, the Babylonians are not going to glorify you. They're not. I can tell you right now, those Babylonians, they're not going to glorify you. Instead, they are going to basically worship their nets. And you think to yourself, what is, what is the pastor reading right there? Nets and drag nets. What's going on? What does he mean? Well, nets are describing when one army is so powerful that it sweeps over and easily defeats another army. It's like catching fish in a net. They're helpless. They're just flapping around. They have no strength. You swoop them up in your net and you devour them. That's, it's, it was so easy. In our, in our lingo, it might be like shooting fish in a barrel. It, bing, bing, they're sitting there to shoot those fish. It was, it's no problem whatsoever. He's talking about the Babylonians' military might. 
They had, a, they had this military. They were incredible. They were sweeping over it and just taking over everything with their military power. They were so consumed with their military prowess that they, it became a god to them. They were swooping people up. They were conquering everyone. And they were so arrogant and their pride was so swelled that they basically, they worshipped their military might. A quick question. Are you a Babylonian? Are you you a Babylonian consumed with your own abilities, consumed with your own giftedness, consumed with your own whatever? You don't give God the glory. You basically think, man, yep, yep, yep. I closed that deal. I did this. I raised these people. I'm just incredible. You got to be careful. We got to be careful because we can start worshiping our really ourselves. Because I'm so amazing at this, I'm so amazing at that. So the nets were an ancient way to describe one army that could just take over another. So he says to God, listen, God, the Babylonians are not going to give you the glory. And I'm sure that Habakkuk would have known and understood and remembered the writing of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11, 70 years before, he says this, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. So Habakkuk says, God, how are you being glorified by this? I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I, I have to, I, this, is, this is Jeff Greer's, comes from Jeff Greer's own mind, okay? But I, I have to believe that God sometimes gets a kick out of stuff like this. You know, Habakkuk's just taking what he knew about God. And he's saying, well, God, it's like your own kids. You know, you're going to discipline your kids. And then your kids come up with something really witty and, and pretty amazing to get out of it. And, and you want to still, you know, you want to still respond. But you're thinking to yourself, that was pretty cool. I raised some good kids. I raised some smart children. They came up with something so witty. And so that's what Habakkuk's doing. He's saying, hey, God, now, now you, you, you are a God who will not give up your glory. You're a God who blah, blah. You went through all the attributes and all the characteristics and all the promises of God. And he says, you know what? The Babylonians are not going to give you any glory. And God's saying, hey, that's a pretty good argument. I should make you into a lawyer. Um, so he's, he's using the knowledge of God and asking God, God, how does your present path how does your present path, can, how is it consistent with your character and with your promises? How, how is that consistent? Think about it. God says, come, let us reason together. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing. I'm going to tell you something for me. It beats watching Jonah go into another emotional tirade, right? At least the guy's using his mind. He's crying out to God. He's being creative about it. Jonah just started, I don't like the vine. The vine is great. Yay for the vine. Vine goes dead. Oh, I want to die. He's kind of annoying. Habakkuk's less annoying. <laughs> I'm sure I'd be the most annoying if it happened to me, but Habakkuk is less annoying than Jonah. Habakkuk is asking God some logical questions. God, I know you're eternal. God, I know you're sovereign. God, I know you're pure. God, you're our rock. We trust you. You're our rock. So help me understand this. Uh, this is not making sense to me. How is bringing the Babylonians going to fulfill your ultimate purpose? I'm confused. I'm totally confused. I don't understand. He's going through a natural, emotional, and spiritual process. Last week we talked about it. Habakkuk was crying out to God. He cried out to God. I do that. This week we find out he's looking at God's promises, and he's remembering God's character, and he's asking some good questions. I do that. We, 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 all, we, we all do that. And he tries to reason. He tries to reason with God. He uses the mind that God has given him and says, God, help me understand. I am totally confused here. I, I, I need your help. 
I, I do that too. And part of his confusion, though, understand something, comes from his own perspective. He does not have an eternal perspective. The reason he's struggling with this is he's coming at it. Now, he's coming at it from a logical standpoint, from a reasonable standpoint, from a rational standpoint, but it is not based on an eternal perspective. Listen what he does. He goes back to the here and the now. How is it going to affect my nation on the prophet here and now? How is it affecting the here and the now? And he's struggling. Guys, please get this in your minds. Please think this through. When you're going through a difficult time, if you come at it from a temporal perspective, how does it affect me only in the here and the now? You're going to be very, very frustrated for the rest of your life. But if you use your reason and your logic if you use your questioning ability, if you read through the word of God, if you understand the character of God, understand the promises of God, and you put that all in an eternal perspective, you begin to see how you then fit into God's God's grand design. Paul said it. Paul said it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, said, you know, that I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Listen to that. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. An eternal perspective. Kill me, I'm fulfilling God's will. Leave me here, I'm fulfilling God's will. It doesn't matter. Prison, not in prison, shipwrecked, beaten, doesn't matter. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. You cannot affect my contentment, my peace, my joy. Because I have an eternal perspective. And see, the problem is for Habakkuk, he knows what he wants to see happen, and it's not working out for him. I think we can all relate to this. Here's what we do. We see a problem. Jeff Greer sees a problem. And then he comes up with a solution in his own mind that fits his situation and makes, makes sense to me. And then I go and pray about it. But I already worked out what a solution that satisfies me. And then I asked God, God, here's a problem. Here's a solution that satisfies me. And here's my prayer that you should do what I'm asking you to do that satisfies me. And all works out for me on July the 15th, 2012. And we, we all seem to do that. The problem is that God doesn't always solve the dilemma the way we think he should solve it. He does things that are unexpected. Guys, he does almost every time he doesn't work out the dilemma the way you think it should work out. It's usually unexpected. Sometimes God's answer to your problem, (laughs) this is true, is worse for you than the original problem. Sometimes the problem you lay out, God's solution to your, your dilemma is worse for you than the original problem from your perspective, because you don't see the big picture. And you don't like it, and you don't, because you don't see the big picture. Let me give you an example. I go to the doctor because I feel this pain somewhere in my body. And I go to the doctor, and I say to the doctor, Hey, doctor, give me some medicine, some simple medicine that will take away the pain. But in the process, the doctor says you need major surgery to take out a tumor that is pressing on the nerve. That is why you have the problem. The doctor, my friends, can see to the root cause of your problem, and the solution may be more involved than you originally anticipated. Now, 
You and I can say to the doctor, doctor, I came in for a simple medication. Give me give me some painkillers to mask my pain. That's what I wanted. I wanted to, my pain just to go away. So give me some painkillers. You can say that. Give me some painkillers to mask my pain. Or you can trust the physician. And in our case, you should trust the great physician. Even though what he's asking you to do, even though what you're going to go through is a lot more difficult than you originally anticipated when you first walked up and started asking. Because he knows better. He understands the big picture that we don't understand with our finite minds. Habakkuk's concern, like Jonah's, comes down to simple faith. Do they trust God? We have to ask ourselves the same question. Do I trust God? Do I trust God? We've got to answer that question. Do I trust God with my problems? Do I trust God with my hang-ups and my hurts and my habits? Do I trust God with my relational issues with my, with my wife or my husband or my kids or, or at work? Do I trust? Do I trust God? That's the question. And I'll be honest. Sometimes I, as the pastor, do not understand when I'm going through it why it's happening to me. But one thing I do, I know my God and I trust my God. Do I handle it perfectly every time? No. But then I use the mind that God has given me and I look at his promises and I look at his character and I, understand, I remind myself, who is God? Who is the God that I worship? And he helps me. You know, there were times that my parents and my coaches would ask me to do something I didn't understand. It didn't make any sense to the whole, the whole thing. I asked them a question or we were doing some sport and they're telling me to do something. Why would I have to do that exercise? Because because that doesn't make it, it didn't make any sense to me. But you know what I found out as I got older? Everything they were asking me to do had an ultimate purpose. Beyond just the sport, beyond just the, what I was asking of them. or the, There was a purpose in the things they were asking me to do. In the movie, The Karate Kid. Dre finds himself, this is the, the old karate kid was Mr. Miyagi. You remember that one, you know, wax on, wax off. I didn't think oh, some of you would remember that one, so I used the new Karate Kid. But in the new Karate Kid, Dre has a problem. And his problem is he's getting beaten up all the time by these really tough kids. And so he goes to Mr. Han, and he says, Mr. Han, I know how to solve my, solve my problem. You teach me Kung Fu. I think it was Kung Fu. You teach me Kung Fu. And, and so Mr., Mr. Han begins to teach him Kung Fu. But... But Dre, after a while, the, way, the, 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 the unique way that Mr. Han was teaching Dre Kung Fu began to frustrate and confuse Dre. And so he gets, he gets, he's overwhelmed. He's like, you know, I don't understand this. He become, he's confused and he becomes angry at his master because he doesn't understand why his master is asking him to do the things that he's doing. And so he kind of loses a little bit. And I want to close with this clip because you'll understand my point. What up, Mr. Han? Kung Fu lives in everything we do, Xiao Dui. He lives in how we put on the jacket, how we take off the jacket. And lives in how we treat people. Everything is Kung Fu. Our master, though we get confused and we get frustrated and we get angry, asks us to do things sometimes we don't understand, 
Our master knows exactly what he's doing. Everything we do in our lives has a purpose. We just need to trust him. The question you need to leave with this morning is, do I trust God? Even though I'm struggling, he may be asking me to do something I don't understand. Do I trust my master? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, I ask that you would truly bless this body, that you would give us faith, that we would learn from Jonah, we would learn from Habakkuk, Lord God, what to do and what not to do when faced with difficult situations. We ask as we continue this series, Lord God, that you would strengthen our faith, that we would learn from you, that we would understand that you're a God of mercy and love and compassion who loves his people and desires the best for them. I pray, dear God, whether things are going well for us or not, that we would see your hand working through even the things we brought upon ourselves, that you would work through that to help us draw closer to you and become the people you've created us to be. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great, great week.